Please listen now as we read God's holy and inerrant word. This is from Luke 16, 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Pray together. Heavenly Father, you are Lord of the universe, Lord of creation, and everything that exists belongs to you. And Father, we now simply return a portion of what you have given to us. And we ask that you would use these tithes, these gifts, these offerings in order that your kingdom would be advanced in this world, in order that the kingdom of darkness would be pushed back, in order that your name would be praised as the glories and wonders of the gospel are foretold to all the nations. And Father, as we long for the gospel to go out and be told to all the nations, we pray this morning that the gospel would be proclaimed to us as we prepare to sit beneath your word. And we pray that by the power of your spirit this morning, the spirit of our risen king, that you would meet us each where we are, that you would meet us corporately, but that you would also meet us individually, that you would meet those of us who are anxious those of us who are depressed, those of us who are happy and triumphant, those of us who come in this morning defeated, angry and bitter, that you would meet those of us who are confident and that you would meet those of us who are doubting and skeptical. Father, we pray that you would meet those of us who appear to be very, very good and those who are very, very bad. Would you meet us, please, with the good news of our risen King? That though we are far more broken than we could even imagine, because of his person and work, we can also be far more loved 
and far more secure, far more accepted than we ever dreamed possible. And so, Father, our prayer is that with the help of your spirit, that this good news would fall upon our hearts and change us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, Children ages three to six are now dismissed for Children's Church, so make your way to the back of the sanctuary. Um, We've been working our way over the past several months through uh, the Gospel of Luke and the stories of the kingdom that Jesus told. In other words, we've been going through Luke's Gospel, but we haven't been looking at every passage in Luke's Gospel. We've really just been focusing on the parables of Jesus in Luke's Gospel. And this morning we have this story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16 that we read earlier, and this great reversal that took place with these men upon their deaths. Um, And there's a ton of things that show up in this one parable, right? There's something about wealth and poverty and justice and injustice, right? Heaven and hell, the scriptures, life and death, the resurrection, a whole lot of things. But to understand this story, we need to think through the idea of identity, okay? Because that idea of identity, you know, a a sense of self um, is really, believe it or not, I think what connects all of these various elements in this story. Here's one little statement if you don't write write anything else down. I'm not a note taker myself, but, you know, this might be worth writing down. Um, And here it is. You're doing always precedes and flows from your identity, your being. Your doing always precedes or flows out of your being, uh, right? You think about that. You and I never have and never will speak, act, or think in a vacuum, right? You're doing your activity, your behavior, your thoughts, your motivations, your speech. They're never independent never disconnected from your identity. Our doing always proceeds from our being, who we are. Now, look, it sounds really uh, heady and philosophical to talk like that at the beginning, right? You know, identity and being, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's a really, really simple concept, right? Last summer, our family dog uh, passed away. Um, We had this chocolate lab named Peyton. And... um, Now, lab, right, is obviously shorthand for Labrador Retriever. And you know why, you you know why that breed of dog is named that, right? It's in the name, (laughs) Retriever, right? Those dogs are bred to retrieve. They're bred to retrieve, especially in the water. And so it's an awesome, glorious thing to see these dogs do what they were bred and born to to do, right, to, to chase the stick or the duck or the ball out in the water, right, to work and live out of their identity. But some of you know this. You can literally kill some of these dogs just by playing fetch with them, especially if it's in the water, right? Because it is so in their instincts, right? You have to be careful. By the way, this is not how our dog died. Um, she, she, she was... Old and large. Um, But anyway, uh, you know, if you're throwing a ball, 
you know, out into the water, right? This dog will chase it time and time again. It doesn't know how to turn it off. It's so it's that in its blood. It's so who they are. They cannot help it. Their identity and activity are so tightly bound together and knit together. It cannot be turned off. Right. For good or bad. Their doing always proceeds or flows out of their being. Now, look, all illustrations break down. I get that. And I'm not trying to suggest that we are just animals and there's no difference between us and a chocolate lab. But deep down, we know this is true. We know this is true that you and I, we cannot survive. We can't really live without a sense of identity, without something that defines us in this life, right? We have to have something that tells us who we are. Identity gives our lives hope and meaning and purpose and value, right? Identity is what gives shape. To our lives because our doing always proceeds or flows out from our being. And Jesus is teaching us here in this parable, I think, that we have to settle this issue of our identity. And here's how. We have to recognize the problem that we face, right? And the hope that we crave. And finally, we, we learn in this parable how to have that hope here and now. So th- those are really our three points. Three points to settling our identity, right? The problem we face, the hope we crave, and how to get that hope. Okay, first, the problem we face. Let's begin by talking about how that problem really feels in our lives, and then we'll talk about why. Um, We've all seen those air dancers before, like a car dealership or at the grand opening of a store, right? These giant, tall balloons with these little arms, right? These tube men that stand and they blow air up through it, but it's always twisting and turning in the wind, right? You know what? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay, we've all seen those. Okay, so, you know, here they, they, they're rising and falling and twisting in the wind. It's like, whoosh, and they, come, they get to life, you know, and they stand up and then whoosh, they fall down and all this kind of stuff. I'm done acting that out. But here, here's the simple point that I want, I want to make. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like in life when you find your identity in anything but God. How so? Look, you look to your spouse or to your children or to your career or to your reputation to define you. You try to find your value, your purpose, your meaning. You try to make a name for yourself, right? The perfect wife, the model parent, right? Successful businessman or woman, you know, respected by your peers. And you are destined to ride the winds of circumstance up and down in your life. See, when your kids are turning out right, you know, or your spouse approves of you, or your career's a success and you're accepted by your peers, then everything's great. And you're happy you're alive, right? Whoosh, the wind lifts you up, right? You have, your life has purpose and value. But something comes along. Something comes along and threatens that. You are more than sad. You're terrified. And you're panicked. And you're anxious and you're depressed, and you're lost. You, you don't know who you are without that thing, right? You don't have a self. You've lost your name. You've lost your identity. 
So where do I get all that from this story about the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16? Stay with me just a second here. This, this parable that Jesus tells, this story that he tells, it's a study in contrast, right? The rich man, he's wealthy, he's healthy, he's popular. And, and, then, you get, and then you get Lazarus, right? He's poor, he's sick, and he's all alone, right? The, it's a study in stark contrast, right? But the biggest contrast in this story that Jesus tells, and it's pure genius, is this. There are two main characters in this story. And one has a name, and the other doesn't. In all the parables, in all the parables that Jesus ever told, he never named one of his characters a proper name. We, over months, we've seen a lot of parables, right, that Jesus told. A judge, a widow, a sower, a, a, you know, you know a, a farmer, a manager, a friend, and on and on we could go. This is the only parable in all the parables that Jesus ever told that are recorded for us where someone got a name, Lazarus. And it's because... Jesus is making this point. The rich man. He was just a rich man. And nothing more. The biggest circumstance of all came. Death. And no more money. No more self. For the rich man. So the question is this morning. Who are you? I mean, what is your name? Who are you? Are you? What defines you in this life? Are you just a father, just a mother, just a spouse, just an architect, just an artist, just a conservative? Who are you? Right. But here's why. Why, why is this a problem we all face? Look, it's because we are all so desperate to have a name. You have to have an identity in this life. And almost all of us has, have tried or are trying right now to solve that equation in our lives. And it's a very simple equation. My life plus X equals identity. A self, a name, who I really am, right? So, so listen, listen, we are bad mathematicians with our lives because we aren't really solving that equation. We're like me in like the third grade when that was first introduced to me. That, or maybe it was later than that. But, you know, when they first introduced letters to math, which is like really cruel. But, you know, I mean, we're just trying to guess. We're plugging things in to try and make it work. Plugging in all kinds of things for X, just crossing our fingers. I hope this is the right answer. What is it that you think that you're thinking right now, if I got that? If I became that, if I was that, then I could rest. Then I would have hope. Then my life would have meaning and value, those kind of things. Then I would know that I'm someone. I would have a name. You, you know, your spouse, your bank balance, your career, your talent, your kids, your health, your reputation. You aren't solving the equation. You're just guessing, plugging and guessing. And because of that, we all feel like air dancers from time to time insecure, anxious, dependent on circumstances, pushed and pulled, rising and falling. Just, now that, just real quick before we move on. This rich man died and he went to, to hell where he was in torment, right? Notice something very interesting. 
He's in hell and he's he's disintegrating. He's falling apart. He's breaking apart in the flames of forever. Right. That's what fire does. Right. It breaks things down. It disintegrates things. It pulls things apart. And these flames do that forever. And it's torment forever. It's the continuation of what started in this life and is now being carried out in full justice. You see it in this passage. The rich man got his riches and that was all he got. You see how lost and disoriented and disconnected and hollow and how out of touch with reality he is. There is no sense of self or reality. He is in hell, but he is still ordering Lazarus around. Right. Send Lazarus with water to cool my tongue. Send Lazarus to uh, my father's house. He's in hell, but he has no idea of the torment of what's going on. He's not begging for mercy. He's getting what he wanted. And he's lost his identity. Extrapolate the line, Jesus is saying. Don't find a solid, lasting identity now and you will soon be falling apart forever. Breaking apart to nothingness, falling further and further away forever from reality. Okay, second, and I'm not in a bad mood. That that first point is a rough one. But, you know, you can't read this parable without realizing that it is a warning that Jesus is giving. But second, I want us to see the hope that we all crave. Now, here's the irony of this passage. You look at this man that Jesus names Lazarus in this story, right? And this is this fictitious character, by the way. This isn't the other Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. But listen, we look at Lazarus and no one would ever want to change places with Lazarus, even if it was just for a day. But Jesus is saying, Lazarus, he has the one thing we all crave. Look at Lazarus. Something was wrong with his body, right? He didn't stand outside of this man's gate. He was literally, the the word talks about him being thrown at his gate. He's tossed at the rich man's gate, right? He had to be laid there. He was covered with sores, sores that were oozing, sores that dogs came to lick. And because he was an Israelite, that made him unclean, right? He was starving for just the bread that fell from this guy's table. He was all that Jesus described, and nobody wants to trade places with him. But he had one thing. He had a name, verse 20, a poor man named Lazarus. And you know what the name Lazarus means? Literally, it means God is my help, is what his name meant. If you make anything your help in this life, job, kids, family, spouse, wealth, your talents, you will wind up a hollow shell without an identity. You won't have a self, but make God your help, Jesus is saying. And even if you are laid in the dust, sitting in your own brokenness, you will have an untouchable self, an incorrupted, solid, forever identity. That's what Jesus is saying. Several years ago, I heard a preacher named Tim Keller talk about Jesus naming the 12 apostles. And um, and I remember him making the point that when When God names something, he determines the nature of the thing he names. 
that's very, that's very profound. I mean, you think about creation, right? The story of creation. Why didn't God just snap creation into being? Certainly he could have done that. Why didn't God just think creation into being? Why, why didn't he? Because you know the story in Genesis. It, t- it tells us that God named creation into being. And he called the light day and the darkness night. And he called the dry land earth and so on. When you and I name things, when we name things like, I don't know, Labrador retrievers, right? We're going, oh, that dog brings things back. (laughs) We'll call it a retriever. We're describing the nature of something. When God names something, he determines the nature of that thing. And this is what that means. This means that if the whole world says you are ugly, and Jesus names you beautiful, then you are. It's unchangeable. I mean, if the whole world says you are weak and Jesus names you strong, then that is what you are. If the whole world looks at you and says you're a failure and you're a disappointment, and Jesus names you approved and accepted, then you are. Case closed. If the whole world says you are worthless and Jesus names you a treasure, then you are. See, if you are laid at someone's gate, helpless, sick, poor, and alone, and Jesus names you, then you have a lasting identity. One that will last forever and nothing can ever touch that. Nothing can ever take that away or change it. Really, no circumstance can touch it, right? The rich man and Lazarus, they both died. It's the biggest circumstance that you can possibly go through. And the rich man was buried. Poor Lazarus, he didn't even get a funeral in this story. But it could not touch Lazarus' name. The rich man looked up and he saw Lazarus at Abraham's side. You know what the rich man was seeing? He, he, he was seeing a feast that was going on. And when Lazarus got to heaven, his little name card... He was seated next to Abraham at this feast. He had starved for bread that had fell from the rich man's table. But now he is feasting and he has an identity that will go on forever and ever. You know, I'm terribly allergic to poison ivy. I told you all this a couple months ago. um, And enough of you are allergic to it as well that you probably understand this. But. The itch that comes from poison ivy, it is this, it's not like a normal itch, like you get an itch from your collar or something. You know, that the poison ivy itch, it is so unbelievably deep, right? And it's just, you, you can't, nothing can satisfy that itch, right? Maybe for a second, if you cave and you start scratching it, oh, well, I will say that for a fraction of a second, it feels so good. I mean, like, your teeth tingle, it feels so good. You, you scratch it, it feels like you're hitting bone. It just, but then it's gone. And then the itch comes back with a vengeance, right? That's what happens, right? Comes back double. It's miserable. You were born with an itch. An itch to have a name that lasts forever. And the more things you plug into the equation of your life to satisfy that itch, 
whether it be money or children or spouse or career or your gifts or your talents or whatever, that itch keeps coming back with a vengeance. This is the hope we all crave, that we would be treasured, that we would be accepted, that we would be approved, that we would be beautiful, that we would be strong forever. That we would have a name that lasts forever. That no circumstance in this life or the next could touch it. That's what we long for. Poor Lazarus, starving and covered with sores. Jesus says, he found it. And he will go on forever. So this brings me to the final point. How you can get that same hope. How how can we have that hope that lasts into the future, but also that begins now and keeps us from the rising, from rising and falling with the circumstances of life, right? Um, you know, this is probably one of the worst sermons ever, technically. I've had you thinking about algebra, poison ivy, chocolate labs, and on and on, right? Air dancers. Good luck keeping all that together. But in this last point, I do, I, I, I do hope to be very clear and straight with you. How can we get that hope we crave? Starting in verse 24, we get this conversation, right, that we're, we're kind of, allow, Jesus is allowing us to eavesdrop on this conversation. Conversation with the rich man and Abraham. And in it, he asks for this water, right, to soothe his agony. He can't go into more detail than that, uh, about this fixed chasm separating heaven and hell. But the conversation, right, it winds, it winds its way around to this man asking Abraham to send Lazarus to warn his brothers, Right. Maybe even maybe even send Lazarus back from the dead. That will get their attention. And see, implied in that question is something like this. It's not my fault that I'm here. I didn't receive proper warning. I never knew how to get an identity like that that would last forever. And think with me about Abraham's response to him. Verse 29. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Let them hear them. Verse 31. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. That little phrase, Moses and the prophets, right? All of Jesus' hearers would have known what that meant. It's the, it's the way they referred to their Bible. It's the way they referred to the entire Old Testament. And see, Jesus is saying the Bible, even the Old Testament, is entirely sufficient. Entirely sufficient for what? Entirely sufficient for you and me to get the hope we so desperately crave. Entirely sufficient to settle our identity now and forever. Look, in saying all this, I know that it's hard for some of you to read your Bible. Not just out of discipline, um, but some of you are brand new to Christianity and it's just intimidating to you to read it. Others of you have been Christians for a long time, but you never learned how to read your Bible. You do it because you know you should, but you wind up reading it for little quotes of inspiration to help you through your day or, you know, you're just or how to become a better person. And you're unsure how to connect it all. Let me give you a little cheat sheet for reading your Bible. When you read your Bible, the one thing that you have to keep in mind is that it is one big story that has one main character in it. And that character is Jesus. 
The whole Bible is saying, Old Testament and New Testament, mankind is spiritually bankrupt, but there is one hero. There is one deliverer. There is one redeemer, one Messiah. Abraham said they have the Old Testament, and that's enough. Why? Because it was always saying in the Old Testament that God is your help, your only help. It was pointing to God in the flesh, to Jesus, who would come to redeem. Listen to the story of the Old Testament as told by Sinclair Ferguson with this cheat sheet that it's all about Jesus. He says, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is now imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void, not knowing where he went. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who is not just offered up by his father, but sacrificed by his father on the mount. While God said to Abraham, now I know you love me. Because you did not withhold your only son whom you, whom you love from me. Now we at the foot of the cross can say, now we know you love us. Because you did not withhold your only begotten son for, from us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who, at, who is at the right hand of the king. And forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord. And who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses. Who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job. The truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it for themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing his life, but gave his life, who didn't just say, if I perish, I perish. He says, when I perish, I'll perish for them to save my people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who is cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. He's the real Passover lamb. He's the true priest, the true prophet, the true king. He is the true temple, the true light, the true bread. He's everywhere. That's what the Bible was pointing them to. All throughout the Bible is saying, place your hope in God. Place your hope in the one who came to fulfill everything written in the Old Testament. Find out who you are in him. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, the apostle John, right, he had a vision and he wrote down what Jesus said in that vision. And he wrote that Jesus said, To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. I don't know what that means. I have no idea what that means, really. Except that if you place your hope like Lazarus in God, the man whose name was God is my help, One day, you are going to be in God's presence. And He is going to reveal the name that you will have that will go on forever and ever and ever. It's written on the stone. And when God names something, He determines the nature of that thing named. And the way to start finding out what that name is now is to listen to Moses and the prophets, calling you to trust in the one, the one true hero, the one true deliverer, the one redeemer, Jesus. See, 
you and I craving purpose, meaning, value, worth, significance, whatever. How about this? The God of the universe who named all of creation into being. He sent his only son into the world. And he willingly bore your shame and mine upon the cross. He died the death we should have died. Find your value in that because the whole Bible is saying you were his treasure. He had everything in heaven and he gave it all up so that he could have you. And he has risen to secure for you a name that will last forever. Just a couple brief applications here. First, read your Bible. Seriously. Jesus has Abraham saying in this parable, of all the things he could have had Abraham saying in this parable, your brothers, they really need to pay attention to the Bible. And if reading the Bible has become stale for you, I encourage you to read it differently. Read it with Jesus at the center. Don't read it to find inspirational quotes or to make you feel better. Don't read it as if it were about you telling you how to become your own hero and get better. Read it to hear of the hero of heroes who left heaven to secure a name for you. And it will begin to change you. Second, live generously. Right? Surely this parable has something to say about riches. We hear so much in America, and I'm not getting political here, but we hear so much in America about the wealthiest 1%. Okay, a little truth-telling for us. The wealthiest 1% is here in this room. Because if you make over $50,000 a year, you are in the wealthiest 1% of people who live on the face of the earth today. And the poor and the sick are laid outside of your gates. You see them every day in Cordova, every day in Memphis. Why do you think the rich man ignored, the, ignored this beggar that he passed every day in and out of his house? It's because the best way to figure out if your money has become your identity is to see how generous you are. Because if it's your identity, what you're counting on for security and comfort and status and position, well, you can't give that away. You can't give it away because it has become more to you than just money. So as you read the Bible and hear of the one who, by the way, left the glories and riches of heaven to be born poor in a manger and be homeless all his life in ministry. The one who divested himself of all his riches for you. Take that thought to your bank account. Take that thought to you figuring out your budget for next month. You know, let me just say this at the end. This past week, we had these um, tornadoes that came through the, the Mid-South. And at the back of the sanctuary, there's a table back there with a basket. And at the end of the service, we're going to take up money to help for, with tornado relief. Uh, we have churches in those areas that can use that money to assist people in getting their lives back together. And I want to encourage you to think about Jesus and what he gave up for you. And then as we walk out, if you feel led to put money in that basket that will help the poor and the broken. Okay, last thing I'm going to say, I debated even saying this, but um, this won't be a clean, feel-good ending. But um, 
don't read books like, I should, it definitely should not end it there. Don't, don't read books like heaven is for real, okay? You know the, the story about this little boy that died and came back to life um, and ha, has stories about what he saw in heaven. I don't know much about that book, but someone asked me about it the other day, and so I, I, I didn't know, so I, I did a little reading. Um, so I'm telling you to be like me and don't read those books. Um, <clears throat> look, the man in this story, he begs Abraham to send Lazarus back. And Abraham says, no, they have the Bible. And all throughout the Bible, there is no one. People had visions of heaven, but there is no one, no one except Jesus who descends from heaven. John chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus said, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. So here's what I'm saying. Instead of listening to a four-year-old, I encourage you to listen to Jesus who says, that does not happen. Trust Jesus here in this passage. You know, I, as I was reading about that book, I, was, I read a lot of people saying how the story of this little child will be good for getting people's attention and getting them thinking. And all the... D- Did you hear this parable? Jesus disagrees with every single one of those people. Neither will they be convinced if someone rises from the dead. Listen to Jesus, who did rise from the dead. And he is telling you that the way to get an identity that lasts forever is to trust in him and will change your life now and forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. You're the one who tells us that your word is like manna from heaven. And so even now, as we prepare to come to your table, Father, we pray that you would have us settle our identity. This table set before us is all about our identity. It says this is who we are, a broken people redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Father, we pray that we would indeed settle our identity and less and less that we would feel like we were being pulled to and fro in the circumstances of life, but that we will be stable and steady no matter what happens because our identity has been settled in Jesus and we know who we are in him. We have our meaning, our value, our purpose, our significance all in him. Father, remind us, I pray, this week that if we are ugly, if we are a disappointment, that if we are a failure, none of it matters when we have been given a name by Jesus. That if He names us beautiful, if He names us strong, if He names us accepted and approved, then that is what we are in Jesus. Father, we pray that we would indeed find our identity in Jesus and that it would radically turn our lives upside down. That we would become generous people, holding the things of this life so, so very loosely because we have an identity, a name written upon a stone that is ours before your face. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.